0: Today I want us in chapter 18, and we're going to have to move along because there's 24 verses we're going to cover today, and we're going to move pretty quickly through these, just kind of get a real overview of what these are about. We're going to look at three truths regarding the commercial empire of Babylon and how it will fall, and it will come crashing and burning to the ground. First of all, in your notes, we're going to see the decree against Babylon. There is a decree against Babylon. Chapter 18, verse 1. It says, John says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. Now when it says after these things, after what things? After chapter 17, after the fall of the religious empire of Antichrist, now you're going to see the fall of commercial Babylon of Antichrist. After those things, now this is the next thing that's going to happen. It says here in verse 1 that there's another angel. And, we, man, we've seen a lot of angels show up in Revelation. I mean, angels just keep showing up on the scene. And here's another angel that's going to light up the sky that's coming from heaven, uh, been in the presence of the glory of God. And this angel will show up and will present this decree against Babylon and how it's going to fall, the commercial Babylon will fall. We read this decree specifically from this angel in verse 2. And he cried, this angel cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great, say it, church, is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So the angel makes the decree that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now, why does the angel say Babylon is fallen, is fallen? Does this angel have a stuttering problem? I mean, what's going on here? No, and God's not being redundant in his word. When he does things a couple of times, he's trying to teach us something, let us know something. And let me make a couple of suggestions. We don't know for sure why the angel says it twice, but let me give you a couple of possibilities as I study this. I think one possibility why he says Babylon has fallen twice, he says it, is because maybe he's talking about the city of Babylon falling and also the system Of Babylon falling. That's one possibility. Another one is. That he's simply stating. What we're reading about in chapter 17 and 18. Religious Babylon has already fallen. Now commercial Babylon is about to fall. So maybe that's why he says. Is fallen is fallen. But the most important thing. That we need to understand. Is he's letting us know. This is a sure thing. This is a done deal. This is going to happen. On the authority of God's word. Now, as I studied this out, and I've had several weeks to study this out, the one thing that uh, I kept coming to, and as I read different commentators and things about this, there was some debate about, is Babylon going to be a literal city that is rebuilt? Or is it just going to be the spirit of Babylon that exists But the city is not rebuilt. Some commentators believe that Babylon, the spirit of Babylon is going to exist. I think that's pretty clear. But it's going to exist in Rome. We know chapter 17, the religious empire is certainly going to come from Rome. So maybe that's where this commercial empire is as well. Or is there really literally going to be a city of Babylon that is going to be rebuilt? And this is not just spiritual, but it's literal. Well, let me tell you what... I think, now I could be wrong, this is my opinion, but as I studied this out, I think that this is probably going to be, very possibly, a literal city of Babylon that is rebuilt. Because as you study chapter 18, we'll see it today, five times John refers to this as if it's a literal city. He never says the spirit of Babylon, he says Babylon is fallen, Babylon is fallen. And he refers to it like it's a literal city. We're going to read in just a moment that the people will stand back and literally watch the city of Babylon burn in judgment and destruction. They're going to see this happen and it appears to be literal. We've seen throughout Revelation a lot of words like like and as and those let us know these are pictures and you don't see that. So it it, it lends me to believe that this is very possibly going to be a literal rebuilding of the ancient city of Babylon. You say, well, Pastor Doug, do you have any other evidence that would lead you to believe that? Yes, I do. Ancient Babylon today is in the country, does anybody know? Of Iraq. Okay? And I want to put this picture on the screen. This is a Google image. Um, In 1985, Saddam Hussein who was then captured and executed, began to rebuild the ancient city of Babylon. How many of you have heard about that? Maybe you remember that? He even claimed to be uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, reincarnate. And he began to rebuild the actual literal ancient city of Babylon. He spent over $500 million building the palace and the city of Babylon again. Now, after he was captured and executed, the rebuilding of ancient Babylon did not stop this is a fact the U, the un the united nations continues today to spend millions of dollars to rebuild what they're calling a cultural center in babylon that will have malls and hotels and there's even a plan for a theme park in ancient babylon just like what we're reading about here in the book of revelation This was an article in the New York Times in January of this year. See, we love to bring these things to you because it lets you know how relevant the book of Revelation is in the day and times we're living. Amen? I mean, this stuff is happening before our very eyes. This was in the New York Times January of this year. The article said this. Today, the UN educational, scientific, and cultural organization is pumping in millions of dollars into Babylon and several other historical sites in Iraq. The UN, with the help of private donors, is hoping to turn Babylon into a thriving center of tourism and commerce. If their plans go well, Babylon will be a cultural center complete with shopping malls, hotels, and maybe even a theme park. Is this just the beginning to make Babylon the commercial empire of the world? Time will only tell. Isn't that interesting? exactly what we're reading about here in the book of Revelation, that it appears that Babylon is going to exist as this commercial empire led by the Antichrist, and we're going to see it fall as we read about it today. Now, the real influence of this Babylonian system is indicated clearly in the second half of verse 2. It says that Babylon has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. God is letting us know that, the, that Babylon, the spirit... The influence behind it is demonic. This is of Satan. And we certainly know the Antichrist is going to be Satan incarnate himself leading this thing. And it's interesting here that he says it's going to be a place for every caged, uh, every hated and caged and unclean bird. Um, I I have to confess to you, I've felt guilty about this for years. And so this is a time of confession for your pastor to his flock. When I was a young boy growing up in Oklahoma, we had some really huge trees in our backyard. I mean, they actually gave you a yard in Oklahoma, unlike here, where you don't get those. And we had several huge, like, I think they were pin oak trees. And I would climb up into these trees. And in every tree, I had a certain place that I figured out I could sit in for hours. And I would sit in those trees with my BB gun. Y'all know where this is going, don't you? And I would try to shoot the birds. But you know what I learned? I, I, I I think I shot a sparrow one time and I felt horrible. I mean, I cried about it. But there was these black birds, you know, and I hated those birds. I mean, they picked on the other birds and they were mean and so I shot those birds. And you know what, I never felt bad about shooting those black birds. And now I've got biblical evidence that it's okay to shoot the black, hated, unclean birds. (laughs) Just had to confess that, get that off my chest today. You know, it's interesting, why, why does John mention birds likening them to you know, demonic spirits? Well, Jesus used birds as a picture of Satan in many of his parables. Back in Matthew chapter 13, verse 31, you can check it out later. Remember the parable of the sower? And he talked about, you know, sowing the good seed of the word of God. But he said the fowls, the birds of the air, will come and try to steal the word of God away from us. The demonic spirits. Now in verse 3, we read that the world is going to buy in... To this Babylonian system of the Antichrist. In verse 3 it says, For all the nations, not some, not most, but how many church? All the nations, this is a worldwide event, have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Whose fornication? Babylon. The kings of the earth, this is the political leaders, have committed fornication with her. They've gotten in bed with her. They've joined hands with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. You see, the Babylonian system is going to intoxicate the world to join hands with that system with all of her riches and pleasures and prosperity. She's going to say, hey, if you want to have it made, if you want to be rich and you want to have luxuries, then be a part of this system. Take the mark of the beast and you can have it all. And you know, the world is being set up to buy into this kind of system. Because Paul told Timothy that in the last days, which I absolutely believe we're living in, This is how the the climate, this is how the atmosphere of people's hearts will be in the last days before the return of Christ. Paul said this, but know this, Timothy, that in the last days perilous times will come. And men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, without self-control, despisers of that which is good, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of of God. Man, we're seeing that already in our society. And so, when the rapture takes place and the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to, man, he's going to promise the world, if they'll take the mark of the beast, promise them the moon and everything, and it's going to be good for a little while. And and the world is just set up and ready to buy into this kind of luxurious system. But we need to remember, again, that worldly pleasures and possessions and prosperity will never permanently satisfy. And they'll never last. They, they won't. They'll never bring you ultimate fulfillment and happiness. They won't now, and they won't during the tribulation period, as we're going to see in a minute. It's all going to end and come crashing and burning. Now, it's one thing for me to say that to you guys, because I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> so I really don't know what that feels like. So maybe you'll take someone's word who did have a lot of money. You ever heard of a man by the name of J.D. Rockefeller? J.D. Rockefeller. One of the richest men ever to live in the United States. You know Rockefeller Center there in New York, built that, and many other buildings. J.D. Rockefeller said this, I have made me many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Here's a man who had it all, and yet he said, my possessions and things did not bring me any satisfaction or happiness. And yet, so many in the world, that's what they're looking for through things and stuff. And they're going to buy into it during the tribulation period under Babylon. We see the decree against Babylon as this. It's going to crash. It's going to burn. It's going to fall. We move now from the decree against Babylon to the destruction of Babylon. And John gives us great detail of how it's going to crash and burn and come falling down. First of all, I want you to see the voice of condemnation that comes to Babylon. In verse 4, the voice of condemnation. And I heard another, another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, my people. Lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Now I believe this is the voice of God coming from heaven. And he's warning the people, don't take the mark of the beast. Don't get involved in the Babylonian system. You know, you have another opportunity. It's about to crash. It's about to burn. It's about to be judged. Don't get involved in it. You know, it's, it's like, you know, when the, that tornado was coming there in Joplin, Missouri just you know a few weeks ago the tragedy of that 141 people lost their lives and, and and many of the people that they interviewed that did make it through heeded the warnings they didn't have much time but they heeded the warnings and they did something about it and many of them were able to live because of that and and God here we see it many times throughout scripture where he gives us warnings watch out for this watch out for that stay away from this stay away from that don't get involved in it and we see this huge warning Right here in verse 4, come from God to the people that are alive on the earth. Because see, they still have a choice to either accept Christ, And be saved, as we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, or take the mark of the beast, get involved in the Babylonian system. It seems really great at first, but he's saying, listen, don't buy into it. It's going to crash and burn. And he's telling them to heed the warning. And the Lord is warning the people of the earth to get out of this wicked system of the Antichrist before it is destroyed. And and I want to say again what we've mentioned several times in the book of Revelation. I hear once again, see God's mercy and grace. He's giving them an option. He's give, it's not like God just judges the city and doesn't warn anybody. He gives them a chance. He gives them a warning, but they have to make the choice. You know, this warning about how Babylon is going to crash and burn, it reminds us of another city in the Old Testament. A very familiar story that you find 24 times mentioned throughout the Bible. I think that ought to let us know something about God's warnings and God's judgment. It's the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you remember that story, say yes. And how God warned the people of God. You remember Lot and his family said, Lot, you need to get your family. You need to get out of this wicked city. I'm about to judge it. But in God's mercy and grace, he gave Lot the opportunity to leave and escape with his family alive. And and that story is mentioned throughout the scripture. And Lot, if you remember, it was the same thing we're seeing here. He moved to Sodom and Gomorrah, a wicked city that God never intended for him to be a part of. You remember why he moved there? Because of the luxury and the pleasures and the prosperity and he got caught in all of that. And you know what? He barely escaped with his life. His wife didn't. Remember, she was turned into a pillar of salt. And what a lot of people forget is he also lost a couple of daughters in the thing. Because they married men of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when Lot came to his daughters and said, God's going to judge the city. You need to get out of here. They were already so entrenched and engulfed in the luxury. They are like, no way are we leaving. And they lost their lives there in Sodom and Gomorrah in that judgment. We need to heed God's warnings when they come. God gives these people during the tribulation opportunity, but He gives us warnings and opportunity today. And I think the the practical application for us today in this is that we don't compromise with the things of the world. You know, even as Christians, isn't it easy sometimes to be enticed by the things of the world and to think, you know, I want to try that instead of what God says. And we can get caught in those things. And our family can get caught in those things. And our kids can get caught in those things. And sometimes we escape and sometimes we don't. And let me say this very clearly. Because I I don't think it's wrong to have nice things. I, I believe God wants you to have some nice things. I don't think that God doesn't want you to have a nice house or a nice car or some nice things. But God doesn't want those things to have you. Do you understand the difference? It's not wrong to have nice things, but God doesn't want those things to have you. We know that we live in the world. We're not talking about isolation. But we don't want the world living in us. And that's the difference. You know, God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt in, in a night. But it took years for God to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. That's what we're talking about here. You know, I think about, again, those tornado victims there in Joplin, uh, Missouri. And I don't want to put a picture. We've seen many pictures from this scene I mean, it looked, it's just like a bomb went off in this destruction. And I, and I, I you know, I was just mesmerized about this event. And, and uh, you know, I watched a lot of the interviews and CNN when they were reporting on it when it just happened. And, you know, it was, it was kind of like taking me back to 9-11. I, I kind of couldn't get away from the TV that night. And my wife was thought I was weird and was like, turn that off! And, you know, and I just wanted to hear the stories and what was going on. And you know what was interesting? There was this common theme The people that made it out alive were standing in front of their houses. that were absolutely gone and demolished in their neighborhoods. And you know what was important to them? It wasn't their house. It wasn't their car. It wasn't their RV. It wasn't their motorcycle. It was the relationships. And you know what they all said? You know what? Houses can be replaced. Cars can be replaced. People can't. You know, when you lose everything like a lot of people did in Joplin, you find out what's really important in life, don't you? And it's a great reminder for all of us. It's okay to have some nice things, but man, don't get caught up in those. Don't love those more than you love people and more than you love God. You know, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, the reason Jesus told us this, this is the warning to us today. Because even though as the church, those that are saved are not going to be around when this happens, we can still be covetous today. I can. I see something, I go, oh man, I'd like to have that. We can be covetous, and and so Jesus gives us a warning. And the warning is, take heed, beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Isn't that true? It does not consist in the things that we possess. Look at verse 5. For her sins, Babylon, have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities, her sin. Now it's interesting that you contrast this system with believers. You know, where God is going to judge this system and he's going to remember their sins. But aren't you thankful for those who put their faith and trust in Christ? It says that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. I'm glad I'm on that side. Not the side where God remembers and he judges. And that's an important truth for us right there in verse 5. Verse 6 through 8, we will see how God is going to judge and treat Babylon. How he's going to destroy them. He's going to treat them the same way they treated God's people. See, this is fair and this is just what God is going to do. Let's read about it in verse 6 through 8. Render to her, to Babylon, just as she has rendered to you. And repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. Double judgment. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. In the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. You can just hear the pride. And I will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death, mourning, and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. This is how God is going to treat Babylon because of the way Babylon treated God's people. You say, well, how did Babylon treat God's people? Well, let me remind you back in chapter 13 of Revelation. Do you remember what we read? All those who are on the earth that will not take the mark of the beast and get in bed with the Babylonian system, you know what the Antichrist will do to them? He will kill them. The Bible says that he will have them killed. But now... Their judgment is going to come because of what they have done. And again, in verse 7, you see the pride of Babylon. As she says, you know, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow. I'm ruling. I'm reigning. You know, I'm not a widow. I don't need anybody. And I mean, she comes right out and says, and I will not see sorrow. Don't ever tell God what you will and won't do. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Because God will do exactly what she says he won't do. That's the pride of Babylon. And pride, as we know, is at the heart of all sin. We want it our way instead of God's way. And in one day, the entire economic commercial empire of Babylon will collapse and come crashing and burning to the ground. We've seen here the voice of condemnation, how she's condemned for how she treated God's people. Now we see the voice of lamentation. Let her be in your outline. And we're going to read a pretty big chunk here. So so hang with me. We're going to read this pretty large passage that details the response of the world when God brings judgment on commercial Babylon and it falls and then I'm going to make a few comments the voice of lamentation how the people respond look at verse 9 through 19 with me the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her with Babylon will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning that sounds literal to me Standing at a distance. I mean, if this is just spiritual and it's not literal, then why do they need to stand at a distance? Unless this is real. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment. They're like, we don't stand far enough away, we'll get judged and burnt too. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment is come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise. He lists the merchandise. Merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. Fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet. Every kind of citron wood. Every kind of object of ivory and and most precious wood. And bronze and iron and marble. And cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense. Wine and oil and fine flour and wheat. The finest of food. Cattle and sheep. Horses and chariots. And bodies and souls of men. Hmm. We'll talk about that. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things, who became rich by her because they, you know, committed their fornication with her and they joined hands with her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, "Alas, alas! The great city that was clothed in fine purple and linen!" <laughs> And scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches come to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried. And they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. (laughs) Don't tell God what he can and can't do. In this section we see how the destruction of Babylon will affect all the people of the world and cause them to weep and wail and lament over her destruction as their wealth is also destroyed because they were also part of this system. And, and, and you, you read several times in here, as I read this over and over, 9 through 19. How many times the people of the world that have bought into this demonic, commercial Babylon system, they, they wail and they cry because this city is being judged and being destroyed. And, and I was like, well, how can I help you all understand you know, this weeping and wailing. I mean, this isn't just like sniffle. I mean, they're crying out and weeping and wailing. I mean, this is really getting to them. I mean, this would be like a movie theater filled with women watching a chick flick. You know, like beaches or notebook or message in a bottle. <laughs> okay, ladies, I'll be fair. My, if, I, if I'm not fair and honest with you guys right now, my wife's going to get onto me afterward. I'm the crier of the family. I cry at chick flicks more than she does. And it's not just chick flicks. How many of y'all saw Marley and Me? I about had to leave the theater, y'all. I'm just telling you. If you love dogs, don't see that movie. I mean, I was like, <laughs> you know. And my daughter's like, Dad, are you crying? No, no. Killed me, man. Where the red fern grows. Yeah, ripped my heart out. The book. The movie. It was hilarious. Many of you know we just got back from vacation. And we actually drove to California and drove all the way back. And so we had the laptops out and the kids were watching movies. And so Caitlin decided to to rent Marley and Me. It just came out I think at the red box. So we stopped at a red box and we rented Marley and Me and they are in the back seat. And her and her brother are watching it. And it gets to the end and Caleb goes, okay I'm done. He like knew what the end was and he's like, I don't want to see it anymore. And so he, he wouldn't even watch anymore. But this weeping and wailing here is because of Babylon that is falling. And, and you notice, this is interesting as I study this. Notice the merchants and the people are crying. But is it, are they crying because they finally recognize their sin? And the demonic system they've been a part of, and that God's judgment is now going to come upon them? Is that why they're weeping and crying in repentance? Are they weeping and crying because not only will the city be destroyed, but I believe many lives will be lost and they'll be destroyed? Is that what they're crying about? No. They're crying because they can't make a buck anymore. Look at verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. I mean, this is like people crying over the Home Depot that was destroyed more than all of the homes and the lives that were lost in Joplin. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. You can see how selfish they are at this point. How greedy they are at this point. It's all about stuff. It's all about things at this point. And in verse 12 through 13, I found it interesting that God took time to list for us 28 different luxury items that were a part of Babylon that people had bought into and, and it's almost like he's describing Macy's department store and he's going from one department to the next. I mean first he talks about you know all these fine jewels and it's like the jewelry department and then, and then he moves on he talks about fine linen and he like goes to the clothing department and then he talks about fine wood and furniture and he's now he's like in home furnishings and, and then he talks about this frankincense and, 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 and all these perfumes and you know now you're in the cosmetic section. And, and then he talks about fine oil and wine and that must be the food court there and and then you've got you know horses and chariots and that's the automotive department I mean he's just going down the list now again none of these things are wrong in and of himself you know we need to have clothes and a house and things and again it's not wrong to have nice things as long as those things don't have you I mean we have a jeweler in our church and he's here today and I thought man I hope that he's not offended by this <laughs> but I know he's not because he understands the context here These people didn't just have nice things, these nice things had them. If you all understand that clearly, say yes. And that's the difference here. And I mean, this is just, and every one of these items, as you look at them, they're all luxury items. They're not necessities of life. I mean, this is materialism gone wild at this point, during the tribulation period. And there are two things on this list, though, that should grab our attention. And they're at the end of verse 13, and it says in this list of merchandise, body and souls of men. Like bodies and souls of men are something that are going to be merchandise, being bought and sold during the tribulation period under Babylon. What is that all about? Well, when John wrote this, they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. And at that time, they estimate there were probably 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. They would have understood this. Does this mean that people will once again be slaves during the tribulation period? We don't know. Maybe. But let me give you some possibilities of how I think that people will be slaves. First of all, we've read throughout Revelation, we know one of the things that's going to be prevalent in the Babylonian system is sexual idolatry and sexual immorality. And I think prostitution and sexual sin is going to be at an all-time high as bodies are bought and sold. That's one thing. Another thing is, let's not forget the context. The rapture of the church has already taken place. Now we're in the seven years of tribulation. And I believe this. I believe that when the rapture takes place, that every saved person will be removed from the face of the earth. Also, all of our children who have put their faith and trust in Christ will be removed from the face of this earth. And I personally believe that all babies and infants and those who've not been old enough to make a decision, I believe they will be removed from the face of this earth. You know what that means? There's going to be a huge shortage of children. And so as children are born and families are wanting to adopt and have kids, I could see some type of slave trade going on with babies and children being exchanged during this Babylonian empire period of time that we're reading about. Maybe uh, some of those who don't take the mark of the beast before they're killed, maybe they're made slaves of people and sold in that way. That's also another possibility. Here's what we do know. We do know this. People are going to be enslaved to luxury and paying bills and stuff. Just like a lot of people today. You know, we learned that in the three-week Ramsey study. The borrower is slave to the lender. And these people are going to do anything to have everything. And they're going to be enslaved to stuff and possessions. The world will be enslaved to the Babylonian system of the Antichrist. They'll view its luxuries... As something to be desired. And they'll lament over the destruction when the judgment comes. But God sees this destruction and the fall of Babylon much differently. Much differently than the world that laments and cries over her fall. God has a different response. And I bring us to our third and final point this morning. We've seen the decree against Babylon. The destruction of Babylon. Now we see the disappearance of Babylon. And heaven's response. Look at verse 20 with me. I mean, we've just read from verse 9 to 19, weeping and wailing and lamenting over the fall of Babylon. And now here is heaven and God's response. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. The people of the world that bought into this system are bawling their eyes out, and the people of heaven are throwing a party. Isn't that interesting? As the world is mourning over the destruction of Babylon and their financial losses, the people of God in heaven rejoice. It's as one writer said it very well. What makes the world rejoice makes heaven mourn. And what makes the world mourn makes heaven rejoice. Now, I, I want to make a very important, well, not to that quite yet, but we'll get there. Um, let me make an important point here that I think sometimes people miss. In the mercy and grace and love of God. Because it's easy to read these things, these judgments and go, where's the love of God? Where's the mercy of God? And forget about the justice of God. Heaven and God here, I do not believe, are rejoicing over the death of the wicked who will be separated from God for all eternity. Because the Bible says in Ezekiel 33:11 and many other places that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes absolutely no pleasure when someone dies without Christ. He does not take pleasure in that. He is rather rejoicing that justice is being served. I mean, when something happens, when when somebody is mistreated, don't we want justice to be done? If you do, say yes. Not vengeance, but justice. And that's what's happening here, folks. And before anyone points a finger at God and saying he's being unfair, he's being unloving, he's being unmerciful, he's being ungracious, he's given them opportunity after opportunity. But he is not only, is he a loving, merciful, and gracious God, but he is a holy and just God. And justice must be served on his behalf and ours. You know, it's just like when Osama bin Laden was killed. You know, some people rejoice and some people are like, I don't think we should rejoice over that. You know, we didn't rejoice, I didn't, I did not rejoice over the fact that a living human being died without Christ and is now spending eternity in a place called hell, separated. Even though it's Osama Bin Laden, that's sad to me. I wish he would have accepted Christ, been forgiven, and been able to spend eternity in heaven. That could have happened, amen? I don't think it did, but it could have. But what we rejoiced over was that justice was finally served. And that's what's going on here. Justice is being done. John MacArthur said it this way, let's go put that up there now. Heaven rejoices not over the damnation of sinners, but because of the triumph of righteousness, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, and the arrival of His kingdom on earth. We need to remember that this event, you guys, we've, we've called this whole series, The Return of the King. And that's what this is all about. And we're going to see in just just about a chapter, as you come back next week and the next week, this is what we've been waiting for. Jesus is coming back. But Jesus can't come back and exist alongside a wicked, evil, idolatrous, demonic Babylonian system. He's got to get rid of that so he can show up. That we can rejoice over. We rejoice because he's on his way. And this makes way for the return of Christ that we're going to see in chapter 19. And then we read in verse 21 to 24. The disappearance of Babylon. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. And threw it into the sea saying. Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down. And shall be. Shall not be found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists and trumpeters. Shall not be heard in you. Anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you. Anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. Interesting. And the voice of the bridegroom and a bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, but by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Sorcery, it's that Greek word pharmakia where we get pharmaceutical. There's probably going to be a lot of drug and demonic use at this time as well. The angel in verse 21 illustrates... How Babylon's going to fall. It's like taking a huge millstone they used to use. These big old huge thousand pound millstones to grind wheat. If you took that thing and just threw it into the depths of the ocean. I mean, it would just be gone. It would sink to the depth. To be be gone no more. To be seen no more. I mean, it would just disappear. He said, that's, when this judgment comes, that's what it's going to look like. Verse 22 to 23 lets us know that any semblance to normal life will be gone. Did you notice how many times... John said, you will not find this anymore. You won't find this anymore. Six times he says, anymore, anymore, anymore. Six times. Interesting, six times. That's the number of Satan. Seven is the number of God. Six times anymore, anymore, it's completely gone. It's not partially gone, not just some of it gone, it is gone. It is destroyed, it disappears completely. He says there's no more work, there's no more light. He says there's no more weddings, there's no more family. He says there's no more music, no more American Idol, or Iraq Idol, or whatever it is, Babylonian Idol at this point. I mean, he's just saying all life is... Everybody in the world, which is going to be the majority of the world, that bought into the Antichrist, followed him, took his mark, bought into the Babylonian system because of all the luxury it promised, it's all gone. It crashes and burns. You know, this reminds us of what happened when the world was just going on in its wicked way before God sent the first judgment, the flood. Remember that? To destroy the world, but he saved Noah and his family. And, and here's what it says Jesus said in Matthew 24:37, "But as the days of Noah, just like what happened during Noah's time, were, "So also will the coming of the Son of Man be; For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man." You see, the destruction and disappearance of Babylon will come as a shock to the people of the world who are just trying to live for the world and its pleasures and all that it has to offer. And they're going to think everything is great and everything's fine and then, bam, it's judged. It's destroyed and it's gone. Now I was thinking, how do I make that practical for us today? Because again, I believe those that are saved, those who are believers, those who are children of God who are Christians today. We're not going to be around for any of this. So how is this applicable to us? Well, you know what? We do believe that the rapture can happen at any moment, any day. You know, we had a guy putting a date on a calendar. And he was wrong. But you know what? There is a day coming. Amen? We believe that with all our heart here at the Orchard Church. Or we wouldn't even be studying this stuff. And it can happen any day. And we need to be ready. And you know what? Let's not get so caught up. In the things of life and the world and possessions and prosperity and positions, and that we get raptured, and all you know what? We don't get to you know, God doesn't say, Hey, I'm coming tomorrow, get your U Haul ready, put your stuff in it. No. I'm pretty sure we're going naked. That's what I'm thinking. And then we get clothed in righteousness on the way up. And, and I mean, but you know, I mean, we can get so freaked out today about stuff, can't we? And, and, and so freaked out about the economy. And I wish it would get better too. But you know what? It might get worse before it gets better. Maybe that's just leading up to the return of Christ. So we don't get caught up in all that stuff. And we're ready as believers because we know what's coming. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be caught off guard. Because we know what's coming. And we know what's important. And don't get caught up in the world system today. And the the passage that just kept coming to my mind as I studied this was what John also wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and he said this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. Man, we need to remember that, folks. The world is passing away. I've said this many times to all of you. There's only two things that are going to last forever. The souls of men and the word of God. That's it. I mean, that is it. And when you invest in people and the word of God, that's something that will last forever in your relationship with Christ because the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides, how long? Forever. Isn't that just the opposite of what we found out about Babylon where it's not found anymore? What we do for God and what He does to us is forever. Dion Sanders was another man that has been very prosperous in his athletic career. He's now an announcer and he played for America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Had to slip that in there. And uh, Deion Sanders, I don't know if, how many of you know his testimony, but before he accepted Christ, this is what he said. I had everything that power, money, and sex could give me, but it was not enough. It didn't satisfy. It left me desperately empty inside. And that's true of all of us. We don't have time to go there, but I hope you'll maybe this afternoon or tomorrow morning for your Bible reading, read the story of the rich man in Luke chapter 2 verse 16. It's the same deal. He thought he had it all together, and in a a moment it was all gone. And only what was done with Christ was going to last for any of us. I want to close with this. An obvious story that you know well. Before the event on September 11th in 2001, the World Trade Center stood in New York. If we could put a picture up there. And the World Trade Center it was built in the 60's. It represented wealth. It represented power. It represented luxury and commerce in the United States. They said they believed that when it, uh, it was built for $1 billion, but they said when it was destroyed, to rebuild it would cost over $10 billion. And we all know well what happened on September 11, 2001. In one hour, both towers were brought down. I think that can be a good object lesson for us, what is going to happen to Babylon someday. When it's not just going to be a couple of towers, it's going to be a whole world system of the Antichrist. And we remember this story well, but do you all remember when the two towers came down and when they were first going into the rubble, what some of the firefighters found? They found one thing that was standing. They found very interesting. Can we put this picture up? How many of you all remember this? The cross at ground zero. You see, when everything else comes crashing and burning to the ground, that's all that matters. And it's really not the cross, it's the person that hung on the cross, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. What are you putting your faith in today? Possessions, prosperity, positions, or the person of Jesus Christ. Because that's the only thing that will last forever and forever. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment as we bring this to a close and reflect on the message.